Welcome to our last Chi Alpha service of the semester. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this semester has flown by. Probably that's because I had kids during this semester. That really makes things speed up quite quickly, except in the middle of the night when they're crying. I woke up at five this morning and I'm just screaming bloody murder. So Lord, that wasn't a fast morning. But besides that, it's gone fast. And we are going to miss you guys so much over the next month, few weeks that you guys are going to be gone. So as you go to winter break, know that we're praying for you and we love you guys so much. And I just want to repeat, seniors, grateful for you three, grateful for the investment you've made. Love you guys so much. Thank you for giving your time in college to Chi Alpha. Also, before I move on, don't forget to please sign up for Winter Conference. I don't know if you heard that, but if you sign up by Winter Conference by midnight tonight, you'll have a chance of getting your whole Winter Conference paid for for free. You'll get either reimbursed if you already paid for it. We'll make sure to take care of it. So sign up, and you can even just put $50 down as a down payment towards the full thing, and you're still entered in. But if you don't win, you do need to pay the rest of it because that would be uncomfortable. So don't just sign up with like a $50 gamble, like a scratch-off ticket. Like, we'll see if I win. If not, I'll ask for my money back. That's not how that works. But you can enter into a chance. And Winter Conference, not only do you have a chance of getting it for free, Winter Conference is an opportunity for you to see your life change. When Luke said that, he's not exaggerating. Winter Conference is when many people in this room, including myself, have seen our lives absolutely changed. So not only does God move, but it's also a lot of fun. If you went to fall retreat, the vibe is like the exact opposite, meaning fall retreat is during a campground, and I heard the showers weren't warm, but don't worry about that, and the food wasn't as great, but it's like you're camping and like experiencing the presence of God and like the mud and stuff. Winter conference is not that vibe at all. We're in a really bougie hotel, and there's like a line for it. You can get your custom omelet, and they treat, they like fluff your pillows for you as you experience the presence of Jesus. So if you want a different presence, if you're like me and you prefer the indoors to the outdoors, winter conference is the place for you. And if you prefer the outdoors, it'll be cold. You can go outside if you want. I don't care what you do in your free time. You can even go ice skating. I promise you, you will not regret going to Winter Conference. I said this at Fall Retreat, and I'll say it again at Winter Conference. If you go and you hate it, I will pay you back. But if you go and love it and then ask your money back, then you'll have to talk to Pastor Victor, and he'll take care of that. Sound like a plan? Cool. Tonight, we're going to finish our sermon series, the last one of 2023, entitled, Here Comes the Light. We have been journeying through John chapter 1, As we look to the coming of Jesus, Jesus who is the light, how the light has come to our world and how that has changed everything. We're going to continue where Amber left off from last week and we'll start in John 1 verses 19 through 23. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They said, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. They said, who are you? We have to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Our sermon title tonight, the last time of 2023, is Light Up the Way. Light Up the Way. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for everything you've done this semester, God. And I pray that you just birth something in our hearts to be hungry for you, hungry for your presence, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. All right, I want you guys to all do me a favor. So I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them that, so when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Go. When you're done, I want you to turn to the other person so they don't feel left out and tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up. All right, all right. Now, I, I knew this was a dangerous game. Get you talking. I need you to raise your hand if you're studying to be that thing. Raise your hand if you're studying to be the thing you want to be when you're growing up. 
You guys are special. Let's give them a round of applause. Yes, way to stick to your dreams. That question, what do you want to be when you grow up, is asked to us all the time, right? So what do you want to do with your life? As college students, this question is asked to even more. The question of what is your major is usually one of the first three questions people ask you when they meet you. What's your name? Where are you from? What are you studying? It pretty much like clockwork is like that. And then when they ask me, it's really uncomfortable. I'm like, ah, I graduated four years ago from college. Don't worry about it. Anyways, growing up for me, I went through a few different phases of what I wanted to be when I grew up. When I was really young, I thought I was going to play in the National Football League. Nothing screams future NFL quarterback. Why, why are you going to laugh? That's embarrassing. <laughs> Nothing screams future NFL quarterback like three feet tall, 250 pounds, second grader with no athletic ability, baby. So that dream died pretty quickly. As soon as I went out for flag football, I'm like, you're on the bench. And I said, thank you very much. So I grew out of that. Different times I wanted to become an architect, a screenplay writer, a lawyer, a politician. That was a weird phase. But the main job that I wanted to be when I was growing up is I wanted to be a Christian rock star. You heard that correct. You're like, those things don't go together. They did in my brain. See, growing up, I went to a lot of Christian music festivals, and that's just a place where a bunch of sweaty Jesus followers come together, and they mosh pit to some awkward music with corny lyrics, and teenagers flirt with each other without leaving room for Jesus. They start touching things in the mosh pit that they shouldn't be touching. I don't want to know what happens, and they all smell really horrible. But that is a Christian music festival, and when I was there, I thought it was awesome. So this dream was actually perpetuated when my older brother, Daniel, who is our pastor of St. Church, my dad and myself started our own local Christian rock band. It was called HOF, Hearts on Fire, baby. Come on, look us up on Facebook. I like seven likes. Actually, don't look it up. It's embarrassing. I shouldn't have told you there's a Facebook. Anyways, what we would do is we'd travel around Cedar Rapids playing in people's backyards. And then once in a while, we got to play at this local Christian nightclub that lasted for like four weeks. I actually have a picture of myself as a rock star. You want to put that up? Yeah, baby. <laughs> Taylor, that's who you married. Lord, pray for her. Boys, that's what you're going to look like when you get older. It's okay. Uh, yes, yes, that's me. And you can see Pastor Daniel in the back singing from the drums, so pray for him too. I loved doing this. Even though my bass guitar that I was playing was usually muted because I was so bad at it, I thought this is who I was. I'm a musician. I'm supposed to bring rock and roll to Jesus people all across the world. I thought that's why I was created. Think about it. Have you ever had that desire to know who you are? Have you thought about why was I created? Don't you want to know what your identity is? Don't you want to know what you are called to do, what you were created to do? The first person that we see in the book of John wrestle with this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a different John from the one who wrote the book, so it's slightly confusing. But John the Baptist is actually the second character that John the author introduces us to after Jesus. They didn't have Google, so they couldn't Google best baby names. There's like a group of seven names, and they all stuck to them, all right? Don't judge them. But let's go. In the passage we read tonight, it starts with John being asked this simple question. He is asked, who are you? John answers by saying who he's not. He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And in verse 23, he tells us who he is. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John just told us his identity. John doesn't say his occupation. John doesn't say his family. He doesn't really say anything about himself at all. When John tells us his identity, he's connecting it in the light of who Jesus is. 
His identity is not about himself. John's entire identity is wrapped up in what God thinks of him and what God created him to do. And the same can be true of us because you are who God says you are. That's who you are. You are who God says you are. And according to John 1.12, and that's what we covered in the first week of our series, God calls us his child. John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this changes things. No longer do we need to worry about the people, what the people around us think of us. If our Father in heaven thinks highly of us, that's all that matters. So no longer do we need to worry about our futures. Any of you worry about your futures? Any of you worry about how much money you're going to make, what degree you're going to have, who you're going to marry? You're like, I really want to marry this person, but I can't tell them because I feel really uncomfortable about it. But we're sitting next to each other. All right, we'll pray for you later. We worry about things, right? We worry because we're not trusting that our Father's in control. If we trust and we actually believe that we are a child of the God of the universe, why would we worry? My daddy's on the throne. I got no reason to worry. So our worries, our stresses, our anxieties come when we don't have our identities in the right place. So the question is, who are you? You're a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And once we place our identity in this truth, we can find more peace because he's a steady father. See, our foundation cannot be shaken if it's in the unshakable God. Practically, this means you need to live a life in the way where your chief concern is pleasing Jesus. Put the biggest chunk of your energy not toward promoting yourself, but promoting God. If our chief concern is promoting God, then when things don't go our way, when we don't perform well, when people think lowly of us, it won't crush us. Because I live for God. I don't live to please people around me. This is much easier said than done, though, right? John gives us a glimpse into how we can make this our identity when he tells us to make straight the way of the Lord. To explain what this means, I must take you on a journey to the scariest room in the entire universe. I want to preface this by saying, because my mom listens to this on a podcast. Mom, I love you. Thank you for all your investment into me. Anyways, my mom is a hoarder. She hoards bad. Okay, she keeps everything. If I sneezed on a Kleenex in the second grade, it's somewhere in my mom's house. I pray that that's not true, but, you know, she really loves me, and, like, my snot was on that bad boy, so it might be somewhere. Uh, it's right, okay? It's not my fault. All my old projects, anything that's an ounce of sentimental value, like, Derek, you looked at that piece of paper one time, and maybe I'll forget about it if I don't keep it. No, throw it in the garbage can, Mom. Anyway, she takes all this junk, and she puts it all into one room. We call it the fruit cellar. I have a picture of the fruit cellar. Oh, oh. I got to show you something. If you look up in this top corner, you're going to see a fake drum set. That is from the video game Rock Band, if you've ever heard of that. That's how, what I played a lot as a child. And when I went back there last time, I was trying to see, does this work? No. No shot does any of that stuff work. Anyways, that's just one corner of the junk. Why is there a picture up front? Like, was we going to put lemonade in that for later? God, don't give me that lemonade. Anyways. So this massive room in my parents' basement is like concrete, it's unfinished, and it's where she stores the worst things in the world. My siblings and I have even argued of when my parents, you know, can go meet Jesus, whose has to go through that room? And I said, if you make me do it, I'm just lighting it up and burning it, okay? Sentimental value is going to where people who don't love Jesus go, all right? Burning it. That room is ceiling to floor, or floor to ceiling full of stuff. 
So in order to get to the back of this room, you would have to move a lot of stuff. To work your way through, you gotta move stuff. You'd have to clear a path to make the back of this room accessible. That's what it means to make straight the way of the Lord. You have to clear a path for Jesus so he can have a straight way. This is what John's getting at. See, the key to placing our identity in Jesus is that we need to make straight the way of the light to our hearts. Make straight the way of the, straight the, way of the light to our hearts. Joel and Ryan are going to bring up a little demonstration. Thank you, boys. Can we give them a round of applause? All right. So I want you guys to remember something. The light is Jesus, right? The light is Jesus. So our goal is to make a straight way between Jesus and our hearts. So I want you to think about it. If you're my parents' fruit seller and you're like at the door and you want to shine a light to the back and make the light go all the way through the room, you'd have to move the stuff, right? So for example, if you have a flashlight and you just shine it, you can kind of see it, right? How about now? Can't see the light, right? Now you can. You have to move things out of the way in order to see the light. The flashlight can't shine through a room if there's things in the way. So this is what life is like between us and Jesus. Jesus wants to shine his light into our hearts. Jesus wants to meet with us. However, sometimes there's things in the way between us and Jesus that keep us from encountering him in the way that God has designed us to do. As Jesus followers, if we want the light to shine into our lives, thank you boys for grabbing it. One more round of applause for these two handsome men. If you want the light to shine into our hearts, we have to remove the junk in our lives that get in the way between us and God. We need a clear path. So what are these things? What are the big boxes, the rock band sets that get in the way and clog the path between us and God? Things like bitterness, greed, being judgmental, anger, pride, all those things, they muddy up the way between our hearts and Jesus. Outward sin issues, those are more inward things. Outward, when we choose the things of the world instead of choosing Jesus, they just kind of clear the way. Not that Jesus doesn't love us anymore. He loves us desperately, but it puts things in way so we can't connect with God in the same way. It doesn't stop with removing the sinful things between us and Jesus. We also need to remove some things that aren't sinful but still, still clog a path. Things that can clog the path between Jesus and our hearts are even things like spending too much time on entertainment, Numbing the spirit of God with Netflix, video games, TikTok. It's hard for the spirit of God to move when we're mindlessly scrolling TikTok for hours on end. Like, Jesus, I'm hungry for you. Jesus, I want more of you. Oh, that's a fun video. Thank you for that. Now, this numbs what God wants to do in our hearts. Jesus is not going to shout at you over YouTube for you to hear him. Our paths become clogged when we give more of our time to entertaining ourselves than to being in the presence of Jesus. So I encourage you, yet I challenge you, look at your screen time on your phone. How much time do you spend on your phone compared to how much time you spend with God? Because Jesus is not gonna force himself into your life. You gotta make a path for him. Jesus is not someone who's gonna come and chuck all the junk that you've placed there in front of him just so he can get to you. He loves you. He wants to fight for you, but if you're going to keep putting boxes in front of him, he's not going to force you to let him come to your heart. He's not a forceful God. He's a gentle and patient God. So my question for you, is there something in the way that you need to move in your heart to make some room for the Lord? 
Is there a sin issue? Is there something that distracts you, that takes a lot of your time? Is there anything that disconnects your heart and desensitizes it so it doesn't connect with God? Or maybe is there something that you left at home that might clog God's path for your heart once you get back for break? Is there a sin issue that you left at home, but now you're a little nervous when you're going back home? Is there a lack of discipline? Is there a relationship? Is there something at home that you need to move out of the way so you can stay connected to God over break? If so, the application's quite simple. Move it. Get it out of the way. Because guess what? What should we do with junk? Burn it. We don't need junk in our hearts. All we need are the things of God. So just like my mom needs to clean out that fruit cellar, if there's something in your heart clogging the way between you and God, it's time to clean it out. All it's doing is taking up space and causing pain for your son to deal with when you die. So get rid of it. We also make, so that's how we can kind of clear the path, but how can we let the light in? So we got to clear the path to let the light in. We let the light in for God by not being too busy for God by slowing down, giving Jesus time every day. Busyness, a lack of discipline can clog the path and not let the light in. So we must be disciplined to spend time with Jesus. We must clear the path, get rid of the junk, and then turn on the light so we can shine to the back of our heart so we can see God. Later on in John chapter one, in John 1, 29, it says this. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. So this is the way that God shines his light into our hearts. We behold him. Remember, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. The Greek word for our English word behold is ide. Say ide. Say ide. Okay, okay, we'll keep going. Anyways, ide means to be sure. Don't miss this. Look. Look, don't miss the Lamb of God. Look, don't miss this. This is important. This is a big deal. John is telling us that we need to look long and hard at Jesus. And when John started to look at Jesus, he started to figure out who he was. John found identity when he looked longingly at Jesus. Our identity comes through beholding the lamb. Our identity, the answer to the question of who we are, only comes when we look long and hard at Jesus. So do you want to know who you are? Behold the lamb, you'll find out. We practically behold the lamb through spending time with Jesus every day. Preach this over and over and over again. We're beating a dead horse if you've been around here, but I do it because it's the one-stop shop to life with God. Have intimacy, personal intimacy with Jesus. And that comes through reading the Bible, through praying on your own, through practicing the spiritual practices, we abide or remain in Jesus. If you want to have a clear path that the light is shining between you and God, the number one way is to sit and spend time with Jesus every single day, reading the Bible, praying, talking to God, practically setting aside time every single day to tune out distractions, to clear a path so that Jesus can light you up and light your heart up. We gotta focus on Jesus. As most of you know, When I started school as a freshman in college, I was attending North Central University in Minneapolis. My older brother, who was the Chi Alpha director at the time, here at UNI, he wanted me to come to fall retreat, which is kind of like winter conference, but in the fall. And he used my now wife, Taylor, to get me there. That's a longer story we don't need to talk about today. I'm going to confess something, though. Going into that weekend, going to that retreat, I thought that I was like kind of a super Christian. I was going to Bible school. I was studying to be a Christian rock star. I was like, huh, you guys are about to find out what it looks like to really follow Jesus, you public school people. Now I love public school people. Come on. Anyways, I thought people would laugh at that. Never mind. 
So during worship at fall retreat, I legit like stood in the back and I'm like, okay, you guys, you really need Jesus. You go to the altar. I'll stand in the back and watch and be like, yes, I'm, I'm holy. No, I'm not. I'm lying. But anyways, so that was me at fall retreat. I didn't say the I'm lying part. I didn't realize that till later. But I had this posture of observation. And as I observed these college students, these public college students worshiping Jesus, my heart began to be blown away. I observed students worshiping Jesus with reckless abandon. I saw these students who had absolutely zero obligation to be at this retreat, right? Their parents weren't forcing them. They're college students. They're there anyway, passionately pursuing Jesus simply because they wanted to. As I observed, as I beheld, I saw that their following of Jesus was different than my following of Jesus. They actually loved Jesus. Their following with Jesus was not obligation. It was about a relationship. As I observed this, I started to see the real Jesus in the eyes of these students. I started to feel the presence of God in a tangible way. I started to realize that maybe, just maybe, Jesus had more for me than religiosity, than just doing the right things and hoping to earn the love of God. As I continued to behold these students, my eyes fixated from the students to the king, and he started to speak to me and say, Derek, you don't have to earn my love. You don't have to be the perfect church kid in the back because you're not. Quit lying about it and get to the altar and worship me because you don't have to earn my love. I love you right where you're at. Oh, the Lord wrecked me that weekend. As I looked at Jesus, I started to realize that I was getting a new identity. God started telling me who I was. As I beheld the lamb, I figured out who I was. I found my identity. I was the son of the king. But see, the beauty in this is it didn't stop there. As Jesus was speaking identity to me, as Jesus was telling me who I was, I also started to figure out what I was called to do. Backing up. When I first got to this retreat, it was Friday night, I met my now wife, Taylor, and she was awesome. And then I also met this other guy named Josh. He was a little less awesome. Josh was interesting. He was really angry the first night, to be honest. He went up to me, and he's like, yeah, bro, girls stink. We should not go after them. Bro, let's make this a bro weekend. Like, let's avoid girls. We're going to pursue God together or something. And like, bro, wow. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm here for the girl. It'll be all right. Uh, I'm going to go after her. And then he proceeded to talk negatively about Taylor to me. He's like, that Taylor, she's too nice. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, she's always smiling. I'm like, maybe you should try smiling, chump. Anyways, he was clearly kind of an angry guy. I also knew that he was deeply involved in drug use. He was partying a lot, alcohol. He was really overweight and just unhappy and struggling. He got plugged into Kai Alpha like two days before this retreat. And as I watched Josh, as I beheld Josh over this weekend, I saw him start to soften up. He gave his life to Jesus on the first night. On Saturday, he got baptized in water. Saturday night, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everything changed for Josh in a weekend. That Sunday, he went home, and he threw away his bong, and he threw away all his drugs. He's like, bro, this costs a lot of money, but it's worth it for Jesus, and he threw it all away in the dumpster. It's pretty cool. And his life was forever changed. See, over this weekend, as I beheld Jesus... God started to speak identity first and then calling over my life. He told me, Derek, I want you to make disciples of college students. I want to see more stories like Josh. Beholding, while I was at Fall Retreat, gave me identity, which fueled my calling. See, beholding leads to identity, which will lead to your calling. So you want to know what you're created to do? Look at Jesus. He'll tell you who you are and why you're created. So who are you? You are a child of God. And the question then is, well, what were you to do? What are you called to do? 
We also find the answer to this question through John telling us what he was called to do. Remember, he said he was called to make straight the way of the Lord. See, John doesn't stop with just making a way for the light to get to his heart. He also makes straight the way of the light for our friends. He makes a way for the light to reach the people around him. My parents, I'm telling a lot of stories about my parents tonight. Lord help me, I hope they don't listen. Anyways, my parents live on a property that has a big like forest that has woods on it. And when my older siblings were younger, I'm the youngest of five, when my older siblings were younger, they went into the middle of this forest and they built a fort. They took like big wood pieces and like put it all together and they put like a chair in there and like a crappy instant table that I don't know what it was there for, but it was a fort they built in the middle of the woods. And they called this fort the Love Shack, based off the old song, Love Shack, Baby Love. Oh, you guys are like, I don't know that song. I've been getting into like 2000s hip hop. Anyways, it's fine. That's not 2000s. Okay, grow up. Anyways. <laughs> so they created the Love Shack, and I have zero desire to know what my older siblings did and said Love Shack. It seems naughty, and I don't need to know. Lord, protect our innocence. But anyways, when I got older, I would tell my friends about this Love Shack. It kind of became a mystical place. And one night, my friends were like, bro, there's no fort in the middle of the woods. He's like, there's no Love Shack. I'm like, I'm not lying. I was more, I'm not lying. I hadn't hit puberty yet. I was a little bit of a late bloomer. But anyways, and it was dark, but I'm like, fine, we're going to go see the Love Shack. So my friends had never been out exploring in my parents' woods, so it was my job to make a way. So I went and I cleared some fallen branches and cleared a path because it was a big wood. And as I cleared the path, I grabbed a flashlight and I said, I'll go first. And I guided us through the woods. It was a bigger flashlight. It wasn't this little guy, but it was a big one. And I cleared a path and then lit up the way for us to get to the love shack. I had to show my friends the way to go. This is our job as Jesus followers with our friends. We who follow Jesus, we know the way to Jesus. Our job is to first clear a path to show our friends how to get to Jesus, to show them the way to the light. We do this, the way we clear a path for people to get to Jesus is through making friends with people. It's quite simple. Just going up to random strangers that you just met and said, hello there, Jesus loves you. It's not a bad thing to do. It's definitely not wrong, but it's also not usually super effective. They're always like, what? And then they walk away, right? So the first way we clear a path for people to meet Jesus is we actually make friendships with people. We build a relationship with them first. We don't just come in screaming Jesus right away. We just say, like, hi, what's your name? That's a good way to start. So we build friendship with people. Our friendship clears a path. It removes barriers as people start to see us as a normal human being, not just a Jesus robot. So we clear a path through building relationships with people. We don't stop at just clearing the path. Remember, we need to also light up the path and show the way. So first, we clear a path through friendship, and then we show them the light through being Jesus to them, through being an example of who Jesus is through our lifestyle, through inviting them into Christian community, through being different from the world around us, through being a little Jesus that represented them, showing them this is what the light of God looks like. We're an example to our friends of who Jesus is, and we light up the way to God. We clear a path through becoming friends with people, and we light up the way through showing them Jesus. So this is our calling as Jesus followers. We are to look at Jesus, behold the lamb. Then we make a way for other people to look at Jesus. And as we do both these things, something beautiful starts to happen. We all start to become more like Jesus. This is because beholding, it leads to becoming. Remember that sermon series, Becoming? We spent a long time in it with the paintings up here. If you weren't here, it was kind of cool looking. And I didn't paint the paintings. We still have them though. What we learned in that sermon series, we, learned, we took those six weeks to figure out that we are on a journey of becoming 
like Jesus, of becoming a disciple. Disciple, that word just means apprentice. So basically, we are apprenticing, learning under Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. So first, what's our identity? Who are you? You are a disciple. You're someone becoming more like Jesus. What's your calling? To make other disciples, to help other people look more like Jesus. We make disciples who make disciples. We make a way for Jesus to enter our hearts and then clear a way for Jesus to enter other people's hearts and then we all become more like Jesus. Our calling comes through making disciples. It's discipleship. So maybe you're asking, well, what does a disciple look like? Disciples are followers of Jesus who do three things. It's very simple. A disciple lives a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. Real devotion, real community, real responsibility. These are the three pillars of Chi Alpha. Everything we do funnels into doing one of these three things. Real devotion is simply knowing God and knowing self. Real devotion is knowing God and knowing self. As Jesus followers, we must be devoted to him. So you want to put up that chart. Thank you. Knowing God is all about having a personal relationship with him. We're to go from religion, to rich, from religion and rituals to relationships. We know God through spending daily time with him. Knowing self is all about getting to know our authentic self, getting to recognize the good, the bad, and the ugly in our hearts. We are to figure out the reason we are the way we are, figure out the dark parts of our hearts, and then start growing from them. So we have real devotion, we get to know God, and then we get to know ourselves and who God created us to be. The second pillar of formation is real community. Real community is finding friendship and finding freedom. In order to become who Jesus created us to be, we must have community. We've got to have other people. Finding friendship is important because we are not created to do life with God on our own. You need people around you if you're going to pursue Jesus. Friendship is where we have other people who are going on this journey of life with God that can push us in the right direction, that can point out blind spots, that can help us look more like God. And also friendship is where we have fun. Friendship is where we can have joy. Life with Jesus is not meant to be lifeless. It's life with Jesus, so it should be fun. We believe in fun. Classic Christmas is going to prove that. Be ready to dance. I'm going to try my best. It'll look awkward. Finding freedom is all about breaking the chains of sin off our lives. We overcome sin struggles through being vulnerable, through having accountability with our community. Sin breaks God's heart, and as his followers, we must seek to live life the way he designed. Small group is the greatest way to grow in real community. If you have not got plugged into a small group, lucky for you, it's not too late. We got them all next semester too. Come on, somebody. Finally, real responsibility is living mission and living service because life's not all about us. We have a responsibility for other people. Living mission means that we have a mandate to tell our friends about Jesus. This is the part where we clear a path for other people so they can meet Jesus. We're to be sharing the love of God with the people around us. And finally, living service means that we don't seek to exalt ourselves. We live to lower ourselves. Jesus showed us that leadership is all about serving other people. We seek to serve each other through doing the dirty work, through using our giftings and the things God created us to do to help the group and through living for something greater than ourselves. This is the heartbeat of Chi Alpha. We live lives of real devotion, which means we know God, we know self. We live a life of real community, meaning we have found friendship and we find freedom. And finally, we live a life of real responsibility, which means we live mission and we live service. The heartbeat of Chi Alpha is we make disciples who make disciples, who live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. If you want to know what this is all about, if you want to know everything we do bleeds into this one statement, we make disciples who make disciples who live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. When we can do that, we can see that God 
God is using us in the way we were designed. John tells us our identity is in making straight the way of the Lord for him to enter our heart. And then our calling comes from doing so with our friends, making disciples who then make disciples. That's what it's all about. We spent this entire semester teaching you this simple truth. For those of you who've been around all semester, I want you to think back to August. We met many of you at the Chick-fil-A party. Our boys were three days old at the time. Lord, help us all. A lot's happened in these past few months. I pray that over this semester, you've gone on a journey of a lifetime as you've grown in real devotion through getting to know God in yourself. I pray that you've grown in real community as you found friendship and freedom. And I pray that you've grown in real responsibility as you start to live missionally and to live a life of service. See, I'm so grateful for how much you've all grown this year, whether it's from back in August or if this is your first time. I hope you've grown in the last 20 minutes. I'm so grateful for what God has done in your life this year. But your journey can't stop here. As you look at this upcoming winter break, or maybe for our seniors, as you look to life after Chi Alpha, you might just be a little bit nervous. Maybe you've grown a lot this semester with Jesus, made a lot of progress, and you're scared you're going to take steps back over break. See, God has done too much in your life for you to take a step away from him over the next month. Winter break does not have to be a time when you grow distant from God. You can build upon all that he's done in your life, and you can actually continue to grow. You can continue to become like him. So let's have a good break. We behold the lamb. We look at Jesus. But that's not all we have to do. Luckily for us, I've actually got 10 steps to you having a successful break. So get out a phone. Get out something to write this down. This is really practical. How do we apply what we're about to do? But before I start and give you these 10 steps, and I'm not going to take forever to do that, I want you to know that pretty much everything I'm about to say is on our website. Go to northerniowaxa.com slash dpath and you will find our discipleship pathway. It is basically a roadmap for how you grow with Jesus. Do you want to grow with Jesus? Go to northerniowaxa.com slash dpath and walk through these six things, and I promise you, you'll grow. It'll be so helpful. We spent all summer creating this resource for you to grow. So if you're like, I don't know how to get close to Jesus, I've got an answer. It's on the website. All right, real devotion. We are to take a break from school, not Jesus. Take a break from school, not Jesus. So step number one to having a good break, get a Bible reading plan. If you don't have some kind of plan for how you're going to read the Bible, you're probably not going to stick to it. Come up with a plan or a goal, something to keep you on track. Like, I'm going to read the whole book of Luke over break. Or I'm going to read the book of John and the book of Romans over break. Whatever it is, get a plan and stick to it. If you miss a day or get off, no one cares. Just do it the next day. You're not earning brownie points with God. Just keep going. I highly, highly encourage you. I want you to imagine what it looked like if everyone in this room did this. What if on January 1st, all of us committed that 2024 is the year we're going to read the whole Bible in this year? We're going to read the whole Bible in a calendar year. I promise you can do it. I've done it for six years in a row. And I'm not a super Christian. I started doing it when I was a college student. We have a lot of college students in here who have done it. You can do it. And a lot of them aren't going to become pastors. So you don't have to be a pastor to read the Bible in a year. Imagine how much our room would grow in the presence of God if we committed to reading the Bible, the whole thing this year. You're like, how do I know how to do that? Thank you for asking. On our website, we have a Bible in a year plan, a plan that will walk you through exactly what to read every single day. So I encourage you, go on our website, go under the Know God tab under the Discipleship Pathway, and you can find a Bible reading plan. If you read the whole Bible in 2024, your life will be turned upside down, I promise you. It's my number one tip. So get a plan. I highly encourage you, January 1st, 2024, start reading the whole Bible this year. You can do it, I promise. Or maybe I should say, you can't do it. That'll encourage some of you, like, yes, I can. I can do it. I want. Whatever it takes, that's fine. Number two, pray for at least 20 minutes a day. Prayer is so important to being a healthy follower of Jesus. 
I think everyone in here has 20 minutes that we could take away from our phones, take away from entertainment to give to talking to God. If you don't know how to pray, we also will teach you that on the website. We have an acronym called PRAY. It's quite simple. P stands for pause. R stands for rejoice. A stands for ask. Y stands for yield. Like you just went too fast. Ask your small group leader or go on the website. It'll teach you how to do it. Here's my encouragement. Spend five minutes on each of those letters. Five minutes pausing, sitting in silence before God. Five minutes rejoicing, thanking God. Five minutes asking God for things, telling him what's on your heart. And five minutes yielding or just confessing sin and just giving God that last part of your day. If you don't understand how to do that, go to the website. Number three, read Jesus books. Harry Potter is not a Jesus book, even though it really beautifully tells the story of Jesus if you look under the lines, but it's not a Jesus book. Read books by some people who have followed Jesus longer than you, and that'll be crucial in you growing in your faith. Read books by guys like A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, John Mark Comer. You're like, where can I find a good list of books to read? Oh, on the website, Discipleship Pathway. I challenge you, read one book over your winter break that helps you grow as a Jesus follower. You want some recommendations? You could read Encounters with Jesus by Tim Keller. You could read Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. You're like, I'm not gonna remember that. You could listen to this back or it's on the website. All right, and number, we'll go to the next one. Is number four on there? Or did I forget to put it on there? I think I did. Number four, it's not on there. It says this, avoid temptation because home can be a hard place to be holy. Number four, avoid temptation because home can be a hard place to be holy. Any sin struggle that you struggle with back at home will be easier once you get back into that environment. Come with a plan of how you're not gonna fall into that sin struggle. For example, let's say every night, hopefully not every night, but most nights, clock hits about 11, your parents are sleeping, you shut the door, you lock the door, you turn the lights off, and you're alone with your phone, and then you start to feel some weird sensation. You start looking at something you shouldn't look at in your phone. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Look at naughty things on your phone. That's not a good idea. That's not what Jesus asked you to do. So here's a tip. Maybe, just maybe, don't go alone in your room with your phone right next to you at 11 o'clock at night with the door locked. Maybe keep the door open because you're going to be less likely to look at something naughty in here if mom's going to come in and say, what do you want for dinner or breakfast or something, right? Keep the door open. Sleep in the living room. It's not that hard. Or let's say growing up, you had a group of friends and every Friday night you went out and you had too much fun together. You went out and got hammered or something and you did something naughty again. Maybe, just maybe, you don't hang out with that same group of friends on Friday nights. Maybe go on Saturday mornings to Village Inn with them. If you get drunk over breakfast, I guess you have a deeper level of problem that we can't work through tonight, all right? That's between you and your small group leader. It's not that hard. You don't want to go get drunk? Don't hang out with the people you used to get drunk with. Revolutionary. Or, I mean, if you really want to, you can go find new strangers to get drunk with. But again, you'll figure that out later. And I'm not saying cut those people out of your life. That's rude. Just get breakfast with them instead. A lot of our sin issues aren't like a willpower issue, like I just gotta be strong. No, it's just being smart. Like, put things in your phone so you can't look at stuff. Don't hang out with people you used to party with. Don't buy marijuana if you don't wanna get high. It's a great first step. Don't buy it. If you don't buy it, you can't use it unless someone offers it to you. They do that again. Find different friends. Let's go on. Real community. Real friends, do not go a month without talking. If your small group is your friends, you will not say deuces for a month. Number five, stay in communication with your small group. 
This is relatively self-explanatory. Talk to your small group over break. Text each other. Share cool things. Share what you're struggling with. Pray for each other. Plan a day where you can all meet up together in some central location and spend time together. I encourage you to plan that day now because once break starts, you're all going to slip by and not think about it. Be proactive so community will be a priority. Number six, be vulnerable with your small group. Remember, home can be a hard place to be holy, right? You might fall back into some sin issue. The temptation will be, no one knows my small group's not here. I don't have to tell anyone. That's true. You don't have to do anything you don't want to, but that's not quite productive. I pray that if you do not give in to sin, temptation, or break. Obviously, that's the goal. If you do, call or text your small group and let them know. Not so we can just read each other's mail and be weird. No, because vulnerability leads to freedom. You want to find freedom? Find accountability. And maybe other people in your small group are struggling with things, and they're waiting for someone to have the boldness to go first and share it. So once you share something, Everyone else is going to feel comfortable. Maybe you need to be the first person to light up a path to accountability. Number seven, join a local church or come back to Scent. Do not go a whole month without being in the presence of God, worshiping Jesus in a church service. Find a local church. If you don't know which one to go to, ask me. We'll find you in your hometown. If you don't have any interest in that, you can always drive back on Sunday mornings and come to Scent. We'd love to see you. Jesus is much bigger than Chi Alpha, and after college, a key part of following him is being plugged into a local church. All right, don't just watch online. That's not being in the presence of Jesus in that same way. You can be in the presence of Jesus anywhere. That's true. Go to church. All right, last one. Real responsibility. Be a thermostat. Influence your home more than your home influences you. Number eight, have Jesus-centered conversations. I don't know if you're like me. Growing up, all my friends and I's relationships were really surface level. We wouldn't talk about anything deep. Don't give in to that temptation. Bring up Jesus. Tell your friends at home about what God has done in your life. We've seen people who their lives are completely changed because someone from Chi Alpha goes home and tells them about Jesus at winter break. Our youth pastor at St. Church wouldn't be here if he didn't have a friend who came home and told him about Jesus over winter break. Number nine, create a schedule routine. It'll be tempting to make your days look like this. You sleep till noon. You watch Netflix. Take a nap. Stay up all night on TikTok. Repeat and rinse. Don't do that. That won't lead to a healthy break. Create a routine. Get up at a decent time and like read your Bible. Habits are crucial to health. Number 10, serve your parents and family. For some of you, you're gonna go home and you're gonna look at your parents and your family and be like, what the heck happened to you? And some of you, when you go home, your parents are going to look at you and think, what the heck happened to you? Because they might be a little different. Something that will be tempting is if you've grown in a relationship with Jesus this year is to come back and look at your family who may not have grown in a relationship with Jesus and judge them. That's a great way to show them the love of God. Be judgmental and be a butt. Don't do that. No, the way to show Jesus to your family is to serve them. Be the best member of the family. Do the dishes. Help out more than ever. That way, when your family looks at Jesus, they don't say, wow, Jesus turned my kid into a judgmental, prideful butt. No, they'll say, wow, Jesus and Chi Alpha really helped my kid become healthier. Amen? Amen. If you do those 10 things, you will have an amazing break. I want you to picture the first service of spring 2024. When you're sitting here, what do you want to be true of you? Do you want to be that you grew or that you ran away from Jesus? Keep that vision in your mind. See, it is vital that you behold the lamb and you have a good break because God has huge plans for 2024. John ends chapter one of his book by telling us this story of Jesus meeting his first four disciples. See, Jesus meets Andrew, who goes and makes a way for his brother Simon to come to Jesus. When Simon meets Jesus, his life is turned upside down. After meeting Jesus, Simon begins to ask this question that we've been going through all night. Who am I? And Jesus does to Simon what he does for all of us. He gives Simon a new identity. He actually gives him a new name. He says, Simon, that is no longer your name. You are now Peter. Peter means rock. Peter's new identity is the rock, and the rock is Jesus. Who is he? He's the son of God. So Jesus tells him, Peter, you are a disciple. He then quickly 
turns to tell, this, tell Peter, you are now sent on mission to go make disciples. He gives him a new identity, you're a disciple. He tells him what you're gonna do, you're gonna go make disciples. See, Jesus is a big plan for your life in 2024. Jesus wants you to be his disciple who makes disciples. Jesus is calling you to be a disciple maker. I want you to look around the room. Look around. I want you to imagine if everyone in this room decided that 2024 is gonna be a year when they're gonna make a path for Jesus to enter their hearts and make a path for Jesus to meet their friends. This room would explode. 2024, we're calling it the year of revival. Revival just means doing a new thing, giving life, being revived. First, we are praying for revival in our hearts, that God will stir something in us where we will, be, we will run after him and be full of life. I think there's a little bit of deadness in our lives, that there's a lack of hunger for God sometimes, maybe not for you, but definitely for me. And what I feel God imploring us for this spring of 2024 is he wants to bring some dead things back to life and he wants to pour out his presence into our life. God wants to stir something in us. We'll be hungry for God. So we're praying for revival in our hearts, but we're not stopping there. We're praying for God to do revival on our campus. That God will not do something only new in us, but also through us. That we will see a bunch of you and I and Hawkeye students come to know Jesus because we're so on fire for Jesus that we burn for the presence of Jesus and people have to come and watch. That we're so devoted to Jesus that we have to live on mission. We are praying 2024 is going to be the year of revival. See, I think in the spring, God really wants to do something in our hearts. He wants to get us hungry for the things of him. He wants us to become more passionate for God. He wants to become hungry for prayer, hungry for worship, hungry for his presence. I think this spring is gonna be like a refining time where God is doing things inside of us. And at the same time, while he's stirring us up for the things of him, for prayer and worship, I think he also wants to train and equip the next generation of disciple makers. I think God is going to ask many of you to be trained to become a small group leader. This spring, we will launch our leadership training class where we train up the 2024, 2025 small group leaders. I think many of you are supposed to be in this group, not because we need more small group leaders, but we need more disciple makers because there's plenty of students who don't know Jesus. Until we have 10,000 students bowing the knee to Jesus, we don't have enough disciple makers. I think God's gonna ask you to give your life for something greater than yourself, to sacrifice, small group leading is a sacrifice, to sacrifice some of your own time, your own priorities, your own resume, and give your life to something greater and this will start with you becoming equipped and so then you can become empowered to reach the next generation. All spring, I want us to be praying for the class of 2028. That's the incoming freshman. God is going to use many of you to reach them with his love. Imagine if someone wouldn't have reached out to you and told you about Jesus. Where would you be right now? You might need to be that person for someone else. I think God is gonna use you to reach this incoming class. This incoming freshman class have many people who are broken, alone, and hopeless. And God is going to ask you to clear a path so they can see Jesus. Someone's gotta move the boxes. I think it's easy for us to expect other people can move the boxes. Other people who are less busy, who have less of a course load, who have to not make as much money, they can move the boxes so I can sit kindly here. Maybe you're the only one with access to that box. You're the only one who can move that box. And if you won't move it, there will not be a way for that person to Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, God is asking you to sacrifice something for him and to move a box so people can enter the kingdom of God so that darkness can see the light. I believe God wants to do revival in our hearts this spring 
so we can do revival on campus next fall. 2024, the year of revival. I think we're gonna have our minds blown this fall. I think this room is gonna be bursting at the seams with students wanting to meet Jesus. I think we're gonna see hundreds if not thousands of college students come to know Jesus next fall. I believe we are exactly nine months away from seeing God do something unheard of here at UNI. We have nine months to prepare. Nine months to get ready for what God wants to do through you. We can't waste any seconds of it. That means we can't waste this break. You having a healthy break might change someone's future nine months from now. Someone's eternity might be impacted by you saying yes to God over the next month. The revival of 2024 starts with us having a good winter break. The revival of 2024 starts with you saying yes to Jesus and no to self and no to sin. The revival starts when we choose to do the hard work now so that God can use you in incredible ways in the future. The main idea tonight is we make a way for the light through beholding the Lamb and making disciples. And the beauty in all of this is the only reason we can even do this is because Jesus moved boxes to get to us. The light made a way for us. Here comes the light and he came for us. When Jesus came as a baby on that fateful Christmas morning 2,000 plus years ago, he was making a way for you to come back to God. We are so sinful, this perfect God should have nothing to do with us. But he loved us so much that he came as a human and died on a cross for our sins to make a way, to make straight the way so that we can be reconciled to God and be forgiven of every wrongdoing. So if you're here tonight and you've never made a way for Jesus to enter your heart, tonight's your night. Jesus loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you no matter what you've done. He wants to give you a new name and call you son or daughter, prince or princess in his kingdom. And that way your identity will be in the only thing that lasts. All of you here tonight are getting ready for some level of change. Whether it just be change of going back home for Christmas break, maybe you're getting ready to graduate, Maybe you're preparing for your last semester as a college student for you seniors. Maybe you're preparing for this next season of equipping to become a leader. Maybe God's gonna ask you to do that and you're gonna hear of that change. All of us are entering into a little bit of unknown. So the question you have to ask yourself, who will you be? Who will you be? And what are you called to do? Simple, who are you? You're someone who beholds the lamb. You are a disciple. What are you called to do? You are called to make disciples. We will be disciples who make disciples live lives of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. And we'll die trying. Here comes the light. Here comes the light. Are you ready? The light of God, the light of the movement of God, the light of revival's coming. Are you ready? Here comes the light. Our job is to make a way for our hearts and for our friends to see Jesus. You guys can all stand with me. If you're here tonight and that first part resonated with you where you realize you've never made a way for Jesus to enter your heart, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. So everyone will close your eyes, bow your head. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you've walked away from Jesus and you wanna return to him and make him your savior, on the count of three, raise your hand as a sign to God. One, two, three. See those hands, thank you. Yes, let me pray for you. God, thank you for new members and your family, Jesus. I pray that you'll just keep stirring things in our hearts to know you better. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. So if we will do all of this, if we'll actually commit to being a disciple who makes disciples, 2024 will be the year of revival. We'll become a group of people hungry for the presence of God. We will become who Jesus created us to be. And then we'll see our campus turned upside down. 
pursue lost students with reckless abandon. As we shine the light of God so bright that people have to come for miles and miles to see. If we will commit to beholding the Lamb and making disciples, we will see revival. We will change the world. Chi Alpha, here comes the light. Are you ready?